Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let us bow our hearts before the Lord one more time before the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, your children do assemble before you once more, and we humble ourselves before your glorious throne of grace. We come in the confidence of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness, and so we believe that we will hear answer to prayer, receive answer to prayer on account of his perfection and beauty. We pray then that you would be pleased to draw near to us even now. Grant, O Father, that in the preaching of your word, your beloved might feel your pleasure towards them in your Son. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen our hearts to receive the message of your love. Pray, Lord, that you would humble your servant and be with him even now, and grant him to lose all consciousness of self and to be consumed with the glory of Christ. Be with us, Lord. Ours will be the joy, and yours will be the glory. We ask all these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, this evening, I want to deliver to you a sermon by God's grace that I trust will communicate to us one simple truth, that God loves you. One simple truth from the passages that we will be looking at this evening that God Almighty loves his people. Throughout the years in many churches, many biblical Bible-believing churches, sermons are often communicated to the people of God that remind them of the responsibilities they have as Christian people towards their Lord in this world. They are often instructed, and rightly so, and reminded that to be a Christian is to love God and to love his Son, Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to live as a faithful witness in this world. To be a Christian is to walk in this world in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which they have been called. All these things are true, necessary, and reasonable. But it is often, in my own experience at least, not so often that we hear of God's love towards us. We are constantly reminded by our hearts, by our minds, by our pulpits, that we have a responsibility to God to to love Him. But how often are we reminded that God loves us? It's my proposition, brothers and sisters, this evening that the most powerful and enabling reality that can be experienced by the Christian to propel us forward in our Christian sanctification is none other than the experience, the ongoing experience of God's love for you in Christ. I believe that many of God's children, some perhaps who have been walking with the Lord for decades perhaps, who are conscious of their needs to be dutiful believers in this world, often forget this simple, basic truth. 
a truth that is communicated from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. When you read the Bible with clear and humble eyes, it becomes magnificently uh, clear that the narrative of the Scripture is simply the love of God towards undeserving sinners. But when you wake up in the morning as a Christian, what is the first thing you say to yourself? What is the first thing you meditate on? Is it the reality of the Father's love towards you and the Son's love towards you? Or do you allow your mind to be invaded with your human responsibility towards the Lord? What I'm convinced of, as we will see in this passage, God willing, and we won't be looking at it in much depth, but what I believe will be clear to us is that the Father above all else, the message that God wants you to know on a daily, ongoing basis, and the experience that He wants you to have is that of His love towards you. And so I've entitled this sermon simply, Receiving the Love of God. Receiving the love of God. Forgive me, I'm having some technical issues. This is why older preachers always warn against using technology in the pulpit. Okay. Let me start with a definition of God's love. A definition of God's love. It is, I confess it's not my own definition, but I think it is simple and yet profound enough to occupy our minds this evening. When we speak about the love of God, what do we mean? I believe that we are talking about the unselfish giving of God himself to us, his children, in order to bring about good and blessing in our life, in spite of the fact that we are unlovely and undeserving. The love of God is the unselfish, the selfless giving of himself to us in order to bring about good and blessing in our life in spite of the fact that we are unlovely and do not deserve it. I want to consider this reality of God's love under three headings, under six headings. The first heading is simply this, that God's love is real. God's love is real. Brothers and sisters, it's necessary that we hear that because it's very possible, particularly if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you take seriously doctrine and theology and you are careful to read the Scriptures and to make sure that your doctrine is aligned to the doctrines that have been propelled by the evangelical church throughout the history of the world, that when it comes to the knowledge of God as He has revealed Himself in His attributes, that you can almost begin to think of God in a sort of distant and esoteric way. And the love of God that ought to be simple enough for the youngest believer to understand and experience becomes a matter of theological education, simply. But God's love is not merely theology. God's love is a real, powerful, transforming principle that the Holy Spirit, through his, the ministry of His Word, enables us through faith, to truly experience. We all know what it is to be loved by someone. 
A husband's love towards his wife. A parent's love towards their children. If you have a wife, if you have children, and it took them uh, uh, a long time to, to articulate whether or not they felt you really loved them, then there's a problem. Because love is something that the, the object of that love truly feels and receives. And the love of God is, is real, and we know it's real, and the evidence of His reality is that those who are enjoying and receiving the love of God become transformed by it. Brothers, the love, brothers and sisters, the love of God, when truly experienced in the soul, transforms us. You think, think of it in this way. You have two women, both married. One of them is married to a good and godly man who loves her, and the other is married to someone who does not love her. As you see these two women live their lives, what you will find is that the one who is nourished and, 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 and bathed with the love of her husband will be a woman who seems to exude a certain level of, of joy and a sense of security and peace and, and confidence. Same with children. Same with a husband that's loved by his woman. He, he feels a certain sense of, of identity in that love, a certain sense of, of, of courage, of confidence, of meaning. But a person who is married to one who does not love them, on the other hand, you can see it. There is a timidity. There is an insecurity. There is a sense of, of faithfulness. There is a sense of a constant feeling of unworthiness and a constant doubting of your own identity in this life. Why is it that these two people who are maybe uh, on the same in the same place in their lives before they get married, after they get married, look completely different. It's because love transforms. Love brings life to a person. And so how do you know if you are experiencing the love of God, Christian? It's very simple. Is your life being transformed? Do you have joy in your heart? Do you feel a certain sense of confidence in this life, not in yourself, but in the reality of the one who loves you and gave his son for you? Are you increasingly growing in a sense of peace and joy and stability? Love transforms, and God's love transforms. But it is possible, as I said, brothers and sisters, for Christians to become so busy with life and to become so busy with doing Christianity that this simple truth, this foundational truth, this, this, this truth that we must never compromise is lost. And Christians can live their lives without actually enjoying the love of God. And you have people who are dutiful believers and they come to church and, and they're present in every meeting and they're doing the best that they can as Christians, but they're miserable. There's no cheer in their lives. They're governed by a spirit of fear, under condemnation constantly. It is possible for a Christian to not enjoy the love of God. And we know this because if it was not the case, the Apostle Paul would not have to pray for the church of Ephesus in this way. In the book of Ephesians, 
the Apostle Paul is trying to present to the minds of the church of Ephesus the glories of the gospel of grace and the privileges that these people who have now come to Christ, who were once, once not a people, have now been given as a result of their union with the Son. And Paul waxes eloquent in chapter 1 concerning their, 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 their spiritual blessings that have been given to them in heavenly places and the reality of their sonship. And in chapter 2, he speaks of their union with Christ, their access into the family of God and access into the presence of God himself. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. But it's almost as though in the midst of writing these amazing truths that all point us to the reality of God's love, the Apostle Paul almost has to take a break in verse 14 and say, you know what, brothers and sisters, I recognize that I've spent a lot of time delving into deep and glorious doctrines concerning the purposes of God in redemption. But I, re I realize that if God himself does not open your mind, and strengthen your heart to receive this revelation, it will only be information in your head. And so he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't want you to miss this. My greatest burden as an apostle of the church of Christ is not to make you theolo theologians in and of itself, it is to bring you into the experience of God's love. And so I'm praying for you that you will come to know the love of Christ, verse 19, which passes knowledge. The love of Christ, it's a reality. It's a reality. The same way you feel love in your heart from someone else, you can feel God's love for you. The second heading that I want us to consider is how do we receive the love of God? If indeed the love of God is available for his people to enjoy and for the world to know, how do we receive it? Well, it starts with putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step to experiencing the love of God. It is upon entrance into fellowship with Christ that the love of God through the Holy Spirit is seen and experienced. The Bible tells us that it is in Christ that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. It is not possible to know anything about God if you do not know his Son. Remember the, uh, the story in John chapter 14 when our Lord is giving his final address to his disciples and the disciples are discouraged and they're fearful hearing from the lips of their Savior that he will soon depart and he will not be with them any longer. And Thomas and Philip are discouraged, and together, it seems, they ask the question, we, we, we understand what you're saying, Lord, and we are fearful, but we know that the solution to our fear is to see God. So show us the Father. And Jesus looks at them and he says to Philip, have I been with you so long? And, and you don't seem to understand, Philip. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so you say to me, I want to experience the love of God. I say, look at his son. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the love of God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person. 
When you open the Gospels and you see the Scriptures speak of this child that was born in Bethlehem and grew up in the city of Nazareth and, and walked on the streets of Israel, you are reading of the love of God incarnate. And so to have fellowship with God's love begins first and foremost with having fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Listen, brothers and sisters, all of us need to be loved. We are all born and created with an innate desire to be accepted and loved. And what I'm saying to you is that such love that satisfies the soul is available to you. But you must keep or you must put your eyes firstly upon Christ. You will not find it in marriage. You will not find it in work. You will not find it anywhere else. The love that your soul desperately needs is found only in Jesus Christ. You have to receive it. And for many of us who are believers, we can thank God that there was a day that we can point back to when we put our trust in Jesus and the love of God was shed abroad our hearts by the Holy Spirit to some degree. And we can testify that in that moment or in that season, we had confirmation from the Holy Spirit that God loved us. But yet it is not enough, I propose to you, to be able to look back in your past and say, I once knew of the love of God. I remember when I first came uh, to Christ, and, uh, and you, will hear, you would hear Christians, Christians who were advanced in age perhaps, and, and they would see the, the zeal of young believers, and they would almost smile in a condescending manner and say, uh, I, I once had that zeal. Um, almost in a, in a way to say life will soon hit you. Don't worry, this zeal that you have for evangelism, this zeal you have for prayer, I was there one day, life will hit you. If that's the attitude of any saint that has been walking with the Lord for a long measure of time, what a sad state to be in. Because God's love, brothers and sisters, is not something that has a beginning and end. It is something that he wants us to continually receive. The love of God is not like a honeymoon period. I had a deacon once in my former uh, assembly who, who used to say to me, love is uh, blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. Um, I'm not married, so I can't testify to that reality yet, but I believe that what he was simply trying to perhaps communicate is that there is a season of bliss that you experience initially in your, in your relationship with your beloved that doesn't always have that sort of uh, emotional sweetness to it. But not so with God. Because in human relationships, that which spoils the enjoyment of each other is sin. But the Bible says there is no sin in him. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. God is capable of pouring himself out incessantly to those who by faith are willing to receive him, so that his love not only remains the same, but to us continues to, it seems, increase and increase as it relates to our enjoyment of him. Do you know that that's what heaven will be? A eternal, increasing experience of the love of God for his beloved in the Son, Jesus Christ. God will continue to expand our capacity to know him 
and to enjoy Him. And this is what He desires for His children. Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Paul prays, and he, he prays that these believers will be able to comprehend the love of Christ. And he says this, To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That word to know is, is a term that speaks of an ongoing reality. God does not want our love to begin at one place and then for us to grow cold and dry for the rest of our Christian life. God is not a cruel master. He's our father. And you think of it, those of you who perhaps are parents, would it bring you pleasure for your child to be in a place where they doubted your love? Would you be pleased in your heart if you thought that your child did not believe that you really loved them? That you really had affection for them? And I'm not merely speaking, my friends, about the duty of love, but the experience of it. Some of us think about the love of God like an obligation he has towards us. Yes, God loves us. He saved us from hell. Uh, but he, he, he can't really stand us. He's, he's only bearing up with us because of his son, perhaps. But God doesn't really love me like this. Some of us believe that our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends love us more than God loves us. That's not true. The only reason why any human being is able to love is because God's love is already working in the hearts of mankind. God is love. And he wants you to know it. He wants his children to live in joy, to live in satisfaction, to live with a confidence that heaven smiles upon them and that he is truly pleased with them. He wants us to receive his love continually. And so the fourth heading that I want us to look at is the fact that Paul, in order to, uh, or rather with a desire to have these believers experience the love of God, he asks God to give it to them. And so the fourth thing is for us to, it is not enough to learn to continually receive the love of God. We have to ask to continually receive the love of God on a daily basis. You know, there are many things that occupy the prayer list of a believer. On a daily basis, I'm sure, Christian, that you ask for the grace to be obedient to God. You ask for grace to treat people well. You ask for strength to meet the demands of the day. You ask for grace to love God. But how often have you prayed to receive the Father's free gift of his love towards you? When was the last time you spent your prayer time saying, as David says in Psalm 35, say unto my soul, I am your salvation. When was the last time you said, Lord, the only thing I want to ask of you this day is that you express your love to me. Grant me tokens of your love. As I walk through each hour of the day, will you not commune with my soul and tell me and grant me the assurance of the Spirit that I am loved by God? This is what the Apostle Paul wants the believers to know above all else. Because the one who is enjoying and receiving the love of God on a daily basis is the one who is the safest believer. 
is the one who will not be so easily tempted by the wiles of the devil. It is the one who is not experiencing, the believer who is not experiencing the warmth of the Father's love that will be easily deceived by the devil to find warmth elsewhere. And so really, in one sense, the totality of true spiritual prayer must terminate in the desire to experience the love of God. Not to, for you to love God. That's a lesser prayer, a necessary prayer. But the height of true prayer is for God to grant us the grace to experience his love in Christ. This is what we learn from the Apostle Paul's prayer. And so, brothers and sisters, let me encourage us that as we enter into the new week, when you have, look upon your prayer list, make sure to add to it, let me pray to experience the love of my Father. I want to know it. I want to know it as surely as I know the love of my parents, of my beloved one. I want to know it even more. One might ask, why do I need to ask God to express his love to me? I mean, we don't necessarily like to do that in human relationships. It's often maybe a, a sign of a bad situation when you have to tell someone to express their love for you. Is it that God does not want to show us he loves us? Why do we need to ask? Well, the issue is, friends, that as we see here in this passage... The love of God is so profound. It's so powerful. It's so overwhelming that in order to experience it to the degree that our Father wants us to experience it, we need strength. It's like a, 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 a great ocean or a great river that without the, 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 the strength of of, of, of a dam, perhaps, to, to guard its movement, will overflow and almost overwhelm. And so the Apostle Paul says here that he prays, in verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. It requires strength, spiritual strength, to experience the love of God. This is why we ask. A few points on, on God's love, just so we can have some things to meditate on. The love of God for his children, God's love for you, is eternal. One might ask, how do I know that God will never stop loving me? I'm a sinner. I, I, I realize how often I, I offend the Lord. And I feel the, the displeasure of the Holy One towards my sin. Will God ever become tired of me? Well, Voss answers the question this way. We can know that God will never stop loving us because he never started. God never started loving you. His love for you is eternal. From the beginning of eternity, even before there was an angel to him, his praise. When he dwelt in the company of himself, in Father, Son, and Spirit communion, all three members of the Godhead had you in mind. And they were pouring out their love to one another with you at the center of their thought. Think of it. Little you. 
insignificant you. Your family members know that you're not worthy of even their own love. And yet the eternal God who dwells in the unseen realm of his own majesty has always had you in his thoughts and he has always loved you. You say, oh, but wasn't it because of Jesus that the Father loves us? No. The Father loved you even before he sent his Son. It was because he loved you that he sent his Son. God's love for you is eternal. It's personal. It's particular. He doesn't just love the church in general. He doesn't just love Kabwata Baptist Church. He loves every single member that truly belongs to him. The Bible says he knows your name. In Psalm 139, and I love this psalm very much, the king of Israel, David, is reflecting on this subject of the love of God towards him, God's perfect knowledge of him. And in verse 1 and verse 2, let's, let's hear what he has to say. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. God knows when you sit down and when you rise up. I was reflecting on this passage and I thought to myself, this august and majestic being who at all times is managing the entire universe, who ensures that the, 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 the planets which he has formed in the galaxy that we belong to does not collapse, who has so much to do on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. He knows when I sit down and when I stand up. He knows when I wake up in the morning and he finds pleasure in that. In me. Sinful, wicked me. He knows every movement. The Bible says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He counts them. Why such attention towards me? And so, friends, you see, it is a lie when the enemy tells you that you're alone. God doesn't love you. No one understands you. God knows you. Almighty God understands you. He sees every Every, every tear, every ounce of pain. The Bible says that he, he sent his son who is now touched with a feeling of your infirmities. He knows your sigh. The Bible says he knows your thoughts from afar off. Even before you have uttered a word, he knows every sentence. And he holds them as precious. God's love is it's personal. Look at verse 13. David says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. God knew you when you were an embryo. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. He knew what day you would be born because he determined it. And he guarded in his providence all the reality and all the things that had to take place to ensure that you would be born into his world. This is the particularity of God's love. It's not a general love merely. He loves you. He loves you. If you belong to Christ, you have assurance from his word that God loves you. 
It's an eternal love. It's a personal love. But it's also a complete and comprehensive love. He loves everything about you that he has made outside of sin. There are people that we love in this world, but we must all confess that we don't love every aspect of these people. You might have a certain personality that perhaps people don't understand. It's not sinful. I'm not speaking about sinful behavior. But perhaps you have a certain kind of quirkiness that that people just don't have the mind to understand or the patience to bear. God understands. And if he made you that way, he loves you the way that you are. He loves your stature, your height. Some of us want to grow and we want to be taller. God made you this height for a reason. Some of us are so tall that we struggle to find clothes that fit us. God made you that way, and he loves you. And he makes his boast to the angels about you in his son. He says, look at him. I delight in him. And the angels don't understand because they see us. They know there's nothing essentially worthy in and of itself perhaps in you, but God sees you, and he sees his image. He sees what he made, and he rejoices in the works of his hand. It is a complete love. Finally, it is a sacrificial love. It is a sacrificial love. You see, friends, God's love is seen in almost any way if we had the spiritual mind to observe it on a daily basis. But the clearest revelation and the clearest expression of God's love for us is seen and that he sent his son to die for us. We know the passage, John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God saw you in your sin. He saw you in your bondage to iniquity, and he realized, he recognized that apart from his intervention, you would have no power to save yourself. And so he sent his own son. The, 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 the joy of his, of, his, of his life, if I can use that term. He loved you so much that he gave up the son of God, the, the darling of heaven, the brightness of his glory. He was willing to send him into this wicked world, which atmosphere, the very air we breathe is poisoned by sin. He sent his son to suffer and die for you. Jesus came to lay down his life for his sheep. That's the height of God's love. And what the Holy Spirit does as we commune in his word and as we ask to receive the love of God is not necessarily to give us money to buy expensive cars and to spend upon the lust of our, uh, the, 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 the desires of our lust. No, it is to open our minds to begin to comprehend in a new and precious way the cross of Jesus Christ so that we can sing like the hymn writer, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory dies, my richest gain, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. The cross begins to mean something to you. And the very thought of it begins to cause your soul to erupt with gratitude and love. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Believers, uh, uh, they, they, they sell themselves short when they look for the love of God merely in terms of the outward things that he provides. No. 
The real essence of God's love is seen in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to enjoy. Friends, if you want to grow in grace, if you want your Christian life to be truly enjoyable, I want to encourage you. Receive the love of God. Make it your daily pursuit to know his love for you more and more. Don't start your day asking yourself, what can I do for Jesus? What can I do for Almighty God? But begin your day by saying, what have you done for me? And meditate upon his love until you are affected. And you yourself will begin to see his love transforming you. There are those of us this evening who might be sitting here and we have never experienced anything of the love of God. Well, this evening I want to encourage you, perhaps enter into this glorious adventure of knowing God's love. Put your faith in his Son. Surrender to him. Confess to him that perhaps you have been seeking love in things that can never satisfy you. And ask to begin a journey of love and faith in him. And the promise of the scriptures is that all who come to the Son will never be cast out. May the Lord help us as we reflect upon these things. Amen.